0: Coming up on this week's show, we have a supersized episode featuring TJ Kloon as we celebrate the release of The House in the Cerulean Sea. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture
1: welcome to episode 232 of the big gay fiction podcast i'm will from willknauss.com and with me as always is my co-host and husband mr jeff adams hello everybody this episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on patreon we'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of this show along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week well, it's another week, another show. We hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and sound at home. And if you've got some extra time on your hands, we hope that you are
0: enjoying yourself reading a good book. Indeed. Times like this, it's good to have a book nearby. So just one bit of news this week before we get into all things TJ. We were actually on this past Friday named to Book Riot's list of 33 of the best book podcasts for all genres. Thank you so much, Book Riot. It was so awesome just to find ourselves on that list. This list truly covers so many genres. There's comic books, vintage books, romance, young adult, sci-fi fantasy. The podcast LeVar Burton Reads is on this list. We are so honored to be on this list and in such good company. I mean, between Book Riot and being on Oprah's list last year, it's it's pretty amazing. So thank you, everybody, for enjoying our show and helping us land on lists like this.
1: Yes, if you need a break from all of the reading that you're surely doing right now, listening to a podcast is an excellent way to while away a couple of hours. And this list has got some wonderful recommendations. We will have the link to that list in the show
0: notes. And thanks again, Book Riot. So I am so excited that it is release week for The House in the Cerulean Sea. It is just so amazing. TJ Klune continues to blow me away with his books, and this one is simply extraordinary. He's balanced his amazing and crazy sense of humor, and here I'm thinking about books like The Tales of the Virinia series and How to Be a Normal Person, along with his keen sense of storytelling, things like the epic Green Creek series or the standalone Murmuration And He's created a tale of found family, the importance of kindness, and the courage to speak up for those who need it most. The story revolves around Linus Baker. He's a caseworker with the department in charge of Magical Youth. Poor Linus, he leads such a dreary by-the-book life. His job involves checking up on the orphanages under the department's care and making sure that they're operating by an extensive set of guidelines. This poor guy carries around the most ginormous binder of guidelines with him. It's kind of ridiculous. He's very known for his detailed reports, and it's because of those that he's actually tasked by extremely upper management to go to the Marseilles Island orphanage to check up on its caretaker, Arthur, and the six unique magical children that live there. Now, Linus's life changes just by going out to the orphanage. He's always wanted to go to the sea because he lives in the very gray, drab city. And of course, as you can tell by the title, this orphanage sits in the Cerulean Sea on this island. As he gets away from the city, he gets out of that gloom and the rain and into the sun. It's really a Wizard of Oz moment as his world goes to color from gray. Linus' journey of self-discovery is the heart, or perhaps one of the hearts of this story. And his progression into the light is part of what makes this story so great and special. He finds that there's much more to life than rules and regulations, and that there's a need for kindness, compassion, and understanding. The kids at the orphanage are an incredible array of characters that I think really only could spring from TJ's mind. We've got Lucy, or Lucifer, and yes, we're talking about the Antichrist there. There's Talia the gnome. Chauncey, who's a green blob with eyes on stalks, who really all he wants to be is a bellhop. That is, that is his goal in life, is to be a bellhop. There's Sal, who's a shapeshifter, who when he becomes nervous or scared just becomes a little tiny dog. There's Fee the forest sprite, and Theodore, who's a, a wyvern who hoards buttons. Nothing makes him happier than adding to his hoard. The kids and Arthur have formed an amazing family. All of these kids have come from other orphanages for various reasons, and Arthur does his best to protect and teach them. Perhaps his most important lesson to them is that they don't necessarily have to be who people think they should be, such as Lucy doesn't necessarily have to give in to the idea that he is the destroyer of all worlds. Early on, Arthur challenges Linus, and it really sets Linus off on his journey. As he says, I think if you open your eyes, you'll see what's right in front of you rather than what's listed in the files. And boy are Linus's eyes open. The children are incredible with their childlike wonder, their massive sense of protection and care for each other. And even though they're all young, they are well aware that the world doesn't really want them, especially the town that is across the sea from the island, where so much of the difficulties arise as this story goes on. TJ's created six distinct characters in these children that you can't help to fall in love with. I mentioned Theodore's delight in the buttons and Chauncey's bellhop dreams and his very protective urges towards Theodore. And then there's Lucy. He's wildly funny as he pushes Linus's buttons sometimes, threatening to like blow up his brain. But then you see his other facets, including a love of classic music from the 50s, especially vinyl albums, and that he knows that he could cause damage, but yet all you really want to do is wrap him up in a hug and protect him from the world and in some ways from himself. As Linus spends his time with Arthur and the kids, he starts to see how messed up extremely upper management is, and that the rules aren't exactly all they're crapped up to be. And when it comes to that hateful town I mentioned, he realizes that there are changes needed and changes that he speaks up for. And this is a romance too. The romance isn't forward in the story, but there is a super sweet, just swoonworthy romance that blooms between Linus and Arthur. The spark between these two is pure romance and it feels like old school courting. Now, that's not to say they don't have problems, and oh do they have problems they gotta take care of, you have no idea, but it all makes up part of this very beautiful story. Yes, in case you haven't figured it out, I love everything about House in the Cerulean Sea. Linus's self-discovery, his romance with Arthur, and these amazing kids living at the Marsyas Island orphanage. There's something in this book for everyone, and as you'll hear from T.J. in the interview, the book can actually be read by all ages. I've got a hardback on pre-order so that it can sit on my shelf with my all-time favorites. That's how much this book means to me. I give my highest recommendation to The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clinton. Stick around. We've got an interview with the author coming up next.
1: In The Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Kanaus. Hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a great school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at amazon.com.
0: So I think this week we have the longest episode of the podcast ever with the longest interview that we've ever done. I got to sit down with TJ to talk about not only the house in the Cerulean Sea but also the May release of The Extraordinaries and the release of the final book in the Green Creek series, which is coming in August. And he even gives us a little sneak peek of what's coming beyond all those books. So we're looking at into 2021 as well. So let's get to that and TJ. I am so thrilled to welcome TJ Klune back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. It's oh, good to be back. We have so much to talk about. You have so much going on. Amazing I know, stuff. No,
2: it's crazy. It's been a wild ride for the past year or so. So I'm very excited about what's coming up.
0: The big thing that's happening the week of March 16th as this does air is The House in the Cerulean Sea comes out, which is your debut with a Big Five publisher, or at least an imprint of a Big Five. Right. As somebody who's watched your career, it's so thrilling to see you cross into this realm. And, and And with this book, where did this book spring from your head? Because it's really unlike anything we've seen from you so far.
2: It is. It's The House in the Cerulean Sea is a a bit of a quirky fantasy, but it deals with some very real topical specific issues that it actually started from a Wikipedia article (laughs) because I have a tendency to get lost in Wikipedia for a long time, and that's a problem, but I will be in one article and I'll click on another one then another one and then another one until I'm completely off what I was trying to look up to begin with. But I came across something known as the 60s scoop, which was in Canada during the 50s and 60s, where indigenous children were taken from their homes and put into government sanctioned orphanages, for lack of a better word. And the idea stuck with me. It was something that I could not shake. And, and this, was, this was at the end of 2017-ish. I had just finished writing my YA debut, The Extraordinaries, and I was looking into wanting to continue along in that vein with something a little bit different. And so when I stumbled upon this article about children being taken because they were different or they didn't adhere to what standards people thought should be at the time, It was something that i couldn't get out of my head and but i didn't want to co-opt you know a history that wasn't mine i'm a cis white dude so i can't ever really go through something like what those children had to go through so i i sat down and i was like i'm just going to write this as a fantasy i'm going to write about about almost orwellian society where the government sees everything and watches everything you do and follow a, a man who is stuck in a rut. He's a cog in a bureaucratic machine named Linus. And I wanted to follow him. He's he's not necessarily prejudiced at the beginning, but he believes everything everybody has ever told him. His, his supervisors, the management, superiors, everybody's told them that things have to be a certain way. So he's gone that certain way. And when I finished the book in spring of 2018, it was a couple of months later that all the news came out of everything that goes on at the United States Southern border with children being taken away from their parents and put into government section camps. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is a little too close to home. I don't know how I feel about this. So I, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. If I thought I should change it or if I should leave it as is because it's, it's topical now more than ever, and it's prescient, and it sucks that that has to be the way. But I think that, that this story will bring the idea that we need to have to speak up. We have to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. And that's kind of the theme of the whole book, is, is to raise your voice for those who don't have
0: one. One of the many things that struck me as I read it is I couldn't decide what year it was. Yes, Other that, than was, that it was, was intentional. Other than that it was after the day the music died, mm-hmm. because that's referenced a few times because music plays a big part of this story. Yeah,
2: right, right. And it's all, it's all you know, 50s, 60s music too. And there's in the book, there's no mention of a television. There's no mention of cell phones. I think in one instance, Linus uses a diner's club credit card, which mm-hmm. is something that people don't use anymore. And that was intentional. Just it, I, I, I didn't want it necessarily to be nebulous about the time it was set in. But I wanted it to have an old fashioned feel. Because this this kind of fantasy, it's a gentle fantasy. It's it's low fantasy. And it's not something that you really see a whole lot anymore. The in the in the 60s, 70s and 80s, there was a lot of gentle fantasy. And that's something that I, I, I'd never written before, and I wanted to try it. So that's why I went that direction. And it, it's an homage of sorts, but it's also, I love, you know, I, aside from the bigotry and the homophobia and misogyny, <laughs> I have a, a thing for the, the, the era of the 50s and the 60s. It's. I like the music, the style of clothing, the dress, the the way the houses looked, all of that, the aesthetic. I guess mm-hmm. we could say of the of the fifties, and so that's kind of what I wanted to bring into the book itself.
0: You saying that reminds me. Before I pushed record, uh, we were talking about how kind of I found the book, and I was connecting it most to Bones Beneath My Skin, which I think if you mm-hmm. take out kind of the homage there to Stranger Things and kind of some Stephen King work that fits this. But hearing just talking about this now, it also connects a little bit to Murmuration where you use right. that time frame right. a lot too.
2: Yeah, it is. And the Murmuration was my was my love letter to Twilight Zone because I love that show more than I should possibly. And this this book too, I wanted to still stick with that kind of feel because there's there's something i don't not necessarily innocent but there's something just different about that we're not so far removed from it that it's alien but we're still so beyond it that the idea of that time frame existing is is in a way it's an antique and it's just people were different back then both good and bad and i kind of wanted to explore that time frame but not necessarily Stick that with a label in the book itself and in Cerulean, there. No year is given so it could be any year just for the fact Just because I didn't mention television or just because I didn't mention cell phones or anything like that doesn't mean they exist But it, it it was it was intentionally given the feel of it being a bit old-fashioned and old-timey
0: Tell us about the the children who populate this orphanage these six kids Yeah, they are <laughs> They're
2: going to be uh, Talia. She is a girl garden gnome with a long flowing beard and a heart of steel that hides a marshmallow center, I think. Mm. There is a forest sprite named Fee who distrusts everyone she doesn't know. There's Theodore, who's a wyvern, which is a small dragon, and he hoards buttons underneath the couch in the living room. My favorite, and it's probably sacrilegious to say I have a favorite, but I do, is an amorphous green blob named Chauncey, who wants to be a bellhop more than anything in the world. It's, It's a singular focus for him, and he, even when I was writing it, he was hands down my favorite. There is Sal, who is the oldest of the bunch and the quietest, and he happens to be a shifter. But as you know, I've written shifters before. I've written quite... a few books on shifters. And I didn't want to do that with this. So I made him aware Pomeranian. (laughs) I don't, I don't necessarily know how I came to that. I think I thought it was funny at the time. And then when I started running with it, I was like, Oh, maybe this is kind of stupid. But then it just, it fit with him for the kind of character he is. And it, it, it made me appreciate him, I think a little bit more because the idea of a, a, a character like him—he's a big boy. He's—he's he's a teenager. That he turns into this tiny little dog. It there's something very sad about that to me, and I think it, it, it strikes home to the character. And the last kid, who I bet is probably going to be most people's favorites, he's six years old. His name is Lucy, and he is the Antichrist. <laughs> and, uh, and you they, say that it like was... it's
0: the most normal thing in the world. All <laughs> uh, right, I know, I know,
2: and it's 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 quite a varied spectrum all six of these children and that was that was intentional because I wanted to I didn't want to make them the same they they each have their own indistinct or very distinct personality and that shows through they they all act differently they all talk differently but they do have a bit of sameness to them because they're being raised together they're growing up together and for all intents and purposes they're brothers and sisters and so they are all unique, but they all care very much about each other and want to protect each other as much as possible. Which is why they don't necessarily like when Linus shows up on the island to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'll just go against convention. Sal was my favorite. Was he? Uh, okay, good. <laughs> something about the quiet kid, the one who tries to just you know stay in the back. I like the the connection that he and Theodore have. You know, that mm-hmm. they're kind of tight with each other. and They're
2: buddies. They are. They're definitely buddies. And I, I think that, that Theodore is very protective over Sal. Or
0: I think all of versa. them are. I wasn't really yeah. sure who protected more there.
2: Yeah, it, it, it uh, is. And Sal is, I think he's the character that I worked the hardest on because I wanted to give him – such a different voice from all the others because one he is the oldest and two i think that through what their backstory comes out we've seen i think that he probably carries the most trauma and it it was important for me to get that right because you can't gloss over something like this especially not taking away from the fact that this book is you know a comedy it does deal with some very serious issues, and I didn't want to skate over that with, with each of the children. So I, I had to make sure that each of them had a proper arc. But Sal was, gave me the most trouble until I finally sat down and, and it clicked and I got it right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you definitely got it right. You got it right across the board. Really. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear somebody else say that. <laughs> you mentioned it's a comedy, and there's humor there. I didn't know how to put the book in a genre. It's hard to define. Right.
2: And it's, that's, that's why I'm comfortable with the term gentle fantasy. And I think that people who read it will understand that. But when you're reading the blurb on the back of the book, and it's all like, Oh, by the way, here's the Antichrist. (laughs) You're kind of like, well, what? (laughs) But it's not hmm. this. But let me let me put it this way. This book can, and I hope will be read by most any age. I'm hoping that parents with kids who are 11, 12 years old will read this book together and get something from it. Adults will get something on a different level than, than maybe their kids will. But kids will get the message that I'm trying to get across just the same. Going through the editing process, there was some more serious language in there. I mean, let's, let's just, I can talk about it here. I use the word fuck twice in the book. And my editor was like, what if we took those two f-words out and then anybody can read this because people will go into libraries people will go into bookstores and looking for books to be able to read with their kids or or to give their kids to read and say does this book have you know any strong language or any strong violence or any sexual situations and if they hear the book has the f-word in it they may not they might not give the book to their kid or the bookseller might not be able to recommend it and so while i was fuck happens to be my favorite word that i put most often in my books (laughs) so to take that out i was like okay that's fine we'll see what it does and but then i thought about it and if a 12 year old can pick up this book and read it because of that that minor subtraction i'm totally okay with that because Mm -hmm. i want i want kids to be able to read it i want anybody who wants to read this book to be able to read this book it's it's meant for everyone and i hope that the I think that the topic and themes of the book are very timely, unfortunately. What I hope, I guess, is at the very end that people walk away from this book thinking that there's still kindness in the world, that we can still do good because we're all mad all the time about everything. We turn on the news, the world is on fire, the government is a mess, everybody hates each other. And that's why I love reading and that's why I love writing. It's an escape. And so when when I want... What, what I want people to do with this book when they finish is just to just to remember that they're so good in it, good out there, they're still kind people, and that if we work together we can, you know, combat all this crap that's being flung at us right now.
0: It was really like the best message. I mean, because even before Linus gets to the island, he's got a boatload of crap going on for him. Right. And then yeah, he, he has goes his to the to solve the rest of everybody's you know not realizing right. that's what he's there to do but that's where he ends up in like solving right, the problems right right
2: and and I want to make sure that that you know I'm not going to be de- getting into spoiler territory but not everything will be completely 100% solved by the very end of the book cuz that's not how life works you know right. we 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 begin and we start and we work towards something And so when by the time the book closes, we're we're at their beginning for their next step. And though I don't plan on writing anything more in this world, you know, flash forward two years and I'm like, by the way, here comes the sequel. But the I, I, I wanted people to know that when they reach that last page to say, hey, yeah, I wish I could know what happens next. But at the same time, sit there and think, well, you know what? I bet they all did good. I bet they all went out there and conquered the world because it would, be, it would have been very easy to give a very trite pat ending to this and to tie up everything in a neat little bow, but that's not the way life is. Life is chaotic, it's messy, and it doesn't always adhere to what we want it to, but I know that they're on the right path, so.
0: And we have to give a nod to the love story here too, because Linus and Arthur are so sweet. Oh my god, <laughs> I know, sweet for me. That's and, yeah, without, exactly. Because usually being torn apart,
2: <laughs> right? And it is, but again, it goes at the idea of it being slightly old-fashioned. They, the way that they move around each other, it is almost courting in a way. Mm-hmm. They and and but it's not. It's not like you know they're giving each other gifts or anything like that. In this case, they sit down and have discussions about philosophy. And that to me was, there was a sweetness to that because it, it was Arthur being in his comfort zone and Linus not, and having to step outside of what he has, his, his strict and stringent routine and having to go beyond that was a delight because he is a Linus is a fussy Fussy man, and I love that about him. He he thinks he knows the way things are and then when he sees that they are not He's very resistant to try to change because he likes his rules. He likes his regulations and to have that taken from him is Not something he ever expected to happen, but of course it does through the kids and especially through Arthur
0: Mm -hmm. It was just it it was perfect Thank you. <laughs> I think so as well. We don't usually talk about your book covers. And Reese dante has certainly done right by you on many, many occasions.
2: Any, many. Yes, she is my go-to. And, oh, by the way, just, just so I can, I just want to, speaking of Reese dante I just want to shout out Reese dante because with this whole issue that has gone on with our former publisher, I didn't know how to format stuff. I didn't know what I was going to be doing with with trying to republish Reese Dante stepped up and reformatted most of my books. She did she did everything she did all, all, all she fixed all the covers even the covers that she didn't do for me. She helped redo to make the full cover up. She is an amazing person and I love her and all my books would not be here without her. So I just wanted to shout out Reese Dante.
0: I give a big shout to Reese Dante too. She's awesome the work that she does is gorgeous. Yes. Um, Murmuration still one of my all time favorite covers. Me too. Uh, But the Cerulean sea cover, my God. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like when they first sent me the concept, it was hand drawn and because that's the second cover. There was another cover that was originally a place that I adored. It was, it was great. It was a beautiful hand drawn cover and they, the the big wigs who were paid the the billions and billions of dollars to make such decisions decided they wanted to go to a different direction so I was like ah oh, shit so they sent me a cover concept and i was like eh it's all right it's just like it was just a hand drawn of a house sitting on a hill with trees blowing and it looked like something you'd doodle like on a cocktail napkin or something like that so i was like oh okay well i guess we'll have to see what it is and then a few a uh, couple of months later my editor Tor Alley, sent me the cover as people know it now, and I was just like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> like I, the fact that it was—I mean, the fact that it looks as it does is just one thing. But I, when I was looking at it, I thought, "Okay, I can see where the model is. I can see it on the cliff. I can see that how the 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 creator made the house and everything like that. But all the background, all of the sky and the ocean and the sun, all of that has to be digital." And then the, the creator, an awesome guy who runs Red News Studios, posted the video of him of the actual model of the cover. And all of that is handmade and it is mind blowing. His, his, yeah. The level of talent he has just blows me away. And I am I am honored to be able to have that cover for this book because it is it is literally just perfect. It is absolutely perfect. The detail is just exquisite
0: the video i mean if this ever becomes like a movie or it lives in that format i can see that video being in the title sequence
2: well you know it would be awesome if this if it does become a movie if it was made stop motion animation like like uh nightmare before christmas or coraline something like that yeah. and then i would hire the hell out of him <laughs> to oversee all of right? that because his he does stop motion animation and it's it's brilliant. It's at, everybody go look up Red Nose Studios on Instagram to go watch his his art and everything he does because his stuff is just
0: out of this world. Yeah. Well I'll link to hit to that Instagram, but I'll also go back into the archives and find that video of the of that of the house. Okay. It's incredible. It is. It's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Now you're headed out on a tour to support this book, which will be the first <laughs> First for you, we're used to seeing you, you know, show up at GRL and maybe another event or two here or there, but yeah. TJ Clute on tour.
2: Yeah. That is frightening. <laughs> it is very, very scary. Because when they when they first said, Yeah, we're gonna send you on a book tour, I was like, Oh, okay. So I'll go to like four or five different places. Uh, no, <laughs> they're sending me everywhere for for I think that the house in the Cerulean Sea. I mean, by the time this comes out, I'll be doing the launch here in Virginia. Then I'll be going to the Charlottesville Book Festival for two days in March. And then from there, I am flying all over the country, I think, to like 10 or 11 different places for this book tour. And look at me now. You're, You're seeing January, TJ. I'm soft and, and rested and relaxed <laughs> I'm sure by the time that March occurs that I will be Completely high-strung and out of my mind. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that's why we decided to do this while you were still yes, calm and right. soft TJ
2: Because if we if we had tried to record this in March I would be shrieking into this microphone right now going. No, everything <laughs> is fine. Everything is wonderful. I'm having such a good time <laughs> Oh, like in in ten days I have to go and give a 10-minute speech in front of a whole bunch of people, (laughs) of a whole bunch of librarians and booksellers at the ALA convention. And so I'm properly terrified because I don't do public speaking. But I have to do that a bunch now. So
0: yay. This will be your pilot run for the ALA. Just the ALA will be your pilot run. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. But imagine if
2: that goes bad and then that's going to (laughs) be go oh, shit you really sure you want to put me out in front of people for some reason people at tour th- seem to think i'm charming which okay you know people are allowed to have opinions even if they're wrong <laughs> so i'm just like okay you're putting all this work and money behind me so i guess i have to go do something
0: <laughs> you're charming
2: ah,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm,
2: yeah there's i think the word you probably mean is awkward which is totally fine i've accepted that but yeah <laughs>
0: Traveling awkward, I guess. Yeah.
2: yeah, we can do that way. I, I will accept that one. And then I might be going to Comic Con. I don't know. Ooh. If they can get if they want me they want me to go to Comic Con and they're trying to get me to Comic Con. And if they do, I will go there and I will do whatever they want me to do. I will cosplay as like the sexiest ninja maiden there is if I have to. <laughs> then I will go and be at Comic Con because that is my nerd dream. I've never been and I want to go. And even if even if I go just to go just to see everybody, that's great. But they actually want me to do book stuff at Comic-Con too. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> I will do awesome. that. I'll do whatever you want.
0: Yeah. You'll, you'll live through this first book tour to get to Comic-Con. I will.
2: Yes, I will. I will do anything that they t- – I will give 10-minute speeches in front of dozens of librarians. That's totally fine. Get me to freaking Comic-Con, man. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to I want to get to Comic-Con, I want to make connections, and then all of a sudden pretty soon there'll be a Green Creek television series. That's my goal. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I'm going to work that, but I have it in my head of TJ plus Comic-Con equals Green Creek television show. <laughs> I don't know the rest of the equation, but I'll get there.
0: I think there's more algebra in there somewhere, but <laughs> yes,
2: yes, but I'm not good at math, so we'll just pretend there's not. <laughs>
0: And I'm all for that. Yeah, f- please find the Green Creek TV series.
2: <laughs> I will do it. I will do it. I'm gonna. I'm going to. I'm going to do what I can to make that a reality. But if there's anything that's going to come, film or television wise, it's probably going to come with what these next two books are going to be. So yeah. that'll be pretty cool if that happens.
0: And, and let's talk about the other book. We get into a little more yeah. great territory here because I have not read the Extraordinaries yet. Although I'm happy to say that the Ark is sitting waiting for me. Hey, um, We've talked a little bit about this at our last GRL conversation because it was, it was sitting over there on, you know, coming up towards this year. Give us the deep dive here on what you could tell us about The Extraordinaries.
2: The Extraordinaries is my YA debut, which is frightening in and of itself. It comes out May 5th, and it's the queer coming of age story about a fanboy with ADHD named Nick Bell. And the superheroes that he loves, who protect his city, he Nick is the most popular fan fiction writer in the Extraordinaries fandom, but he doesn't think he's that extraordinary himself. However, after a an encounter with one of the heroes he writes about, named Shadowstar, and who is his biggest crush, that's probably borderline obsessive, he sets out to try to make himself a, an extraordinary, a superhero. And he has to go about it with or without the help of Seth Gray, who happens to be his best friend and potentially, most likely, the love of his life. But this book is, I don't know if you could get further from The House in the Cerulean Sea (laughs) than with The Extraordinaries. It is wild, it is chaotic, it is a hysterical. At least I think it's funny. It's but the biggest thing, the biggest point for me and the biggest seller for me for this book is the fact that Nick is neurodiverse. He has ADHD. I have ADHD. I am neurodiverse. And I wanted to see someone like me in a story like that. I when I was a kid growing up, I never got to see the loud, overly talkative, slightly effeminate kids in books, if we were if if we were in books, we were either the the sidekick who was a caricature or we were attacked and beaten because of our sexuality or we got sick and died. And that was that was queer characters in books that we I used to read. And, you know, that's not how it is now for the most part. And that's a good thing. The YA is at the forefront of that, I think, with with queer fiction. But I wanted to see a kid who everybody thought talked too much because that's how it was for me. With ADHD growing up, I wasn't taken to doctors to get medicine. I wasn't taken to doctors to get diagnosed until I was older. And I struggled, man. I I had a hard time growing up because my brain was on fire and it never stopped. It never slowed down and it never shut up which of course made me never stop talking. And, and, and it, it sucked. And I wasn't able to see myself in anybody else. There was always this weird otherness about me that I, that I I wished I didn't have. But as I got older, I learned to appreciate it a lot more. And because it is part of me and it, it doesn't define me. But it 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 is, in a way, my own personal superpower. And that's what I wanted to be able to do with a book like The Extraordinaries is, while it is a comedy, while it is funny and sad and happy and, and and all a whole range of emotions, at the center, it's a kid coming to terms with himself, not about his sexuality, because by the time this book opens, Nick and all of his friends are already out and proud. I never wanted to write a coming out story. I think that there's people that do that and do that well. So I didn't have anything I wanted to add to that. And, you know, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, but in YA, a lot of queer stories are coming out stories, which is I mean, there's a place for that. And it's a necessity. But man, I was about to say the line kids these days. That's makes me feel so old. (laughs) (laughs) Younger people is not any better, but they are much savvier than we were when, you know, at that age. And I didn't want to write a coming out story, but I did want to write a story about a guy coming to terms with who he is and and accepting who he is. So that's what Nick's journey is all about, is is being okay with not necessarily being the label extraordinary, but being happy with who he is. And it's 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 a good story. I'm very proud of this book and I can't wait for it. It's actually the beginning of a trilogy. And I just finished writing book two a few weeks ago. So I'm super excited about it.
0: And I can't wait to read the first YA from you. Right. Knowing how you structure stories that always bring in all of this, you know, cool stuff that you bring. I can't wait to see how you do it. And I mean, you've done kids before. You've got kids in Cerulean Sea. You've got the young mm-hmm. girl in Bones Beneath My Skin. Even Green Creek opens when Joe and OX are both kids,
2: right? And hell, my first book was called Bear, Otter, and the Kid, yes. <laughs> and the book the book is about you know a guy trying to raise his 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 younger brother, but this this book is for the most part all about teenagers. They, there's four teenagers, and they make up the main characters of the book. So I had to um, think about that writing teenagers. I actually, for for weirdly, I had more leeway with what I could get away with in The Extraordinaries than I could with House in the Cerulean Sea. I I honestly, going into YA, I'd never written a YA book before. And I didn't know what you could and could not do in a book like this. So I kind of, I don't want to say I made it chaste because it wasn't necessarily chaste. But I I kind of held myself back a little when I was first writing it because I didn't, you know, I didn't say, oh, fuck this. Fuck that stupid piece of shit. Whatever. I was like, oh, this can can that can be said in YA. Right. That's totally fine. And then I sent it to I sent it to my agent. She was like, you can you can put more of yourself into this book. It doesn't need to be, you know, innocent. So I went back and was like, you know what, I'm okay. And so I wrote it how I wanted it to be. And it's it was interesting to see the perspective of Tor wanting the house in the Cerulean Sea to be read for all ages. Whereas in so we had to take out certain words, whereas in the the extraordinaries, they were like, you know, what? I think I think Nick would probably cuss right here, right? He doesn't he needs to have some kind of reaction. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. I'll <laughs> corrupt miners who are reading my book. <laughs> it's totally fine <laughs> yeah so it was a, it was an experience and and i i felt much more comfortable when i wrote the sequel because i knew what i could do and what i couldn't do and and there there's actually I'm, i've learned there's some actually pretty graphic ya books out there there mm-hmm. are some that that really get into to sex and violence and all of that Kids, let's face it teenagers see all that stuff all the time that's yeah. What, what it is, it, I, I, it's going to make me sound so old. But the reason I didn't see stuff like that growing up was because we didn't have internet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until, until I was like 17 years old. So then that was dial up. So I'm so old. Yeah. <laughs> but to, to be able to write a story for, for the six, the 15, 16 year old me who didn't have stories like that, that felt good. Because I, I know there, there's kids out there who don't necessarily get to see themselves yet or still haven't found a book to find themselves where they can say, hey, that person is like me. And I want Extraordinaries to be that book. I want it to be that book for them. Because if I'd had a book like that when I was a kid, man, I would have helped me so much more. I really, really think it would have. But instead of reading about sad gay characters who die alone or who don't have anything or who just get relegated to the sidekick position? I wanted. I, w- I want this story to be for the kid who who wants to see themselves because they are loud, or they do talk too much, or they are slightly, or maybe even overtly effeminate. I want them to be able to have that character here. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to do with Nick.
0: Did you read any YA gearing up to write your first YA?
2: No, not really, because I didn't want to to have anybody else's stuff filter into my head when I was starting out to write the last YA book I read was, and I've read it a few times now. I think it came out in like 2008, 2009. It's Leaving Myself Behind by Bart Yates. And it is a tremendous, tremendous book about a kid coming out and dealing with mental health issues that he got from his mother, who is also trying to deal with her own mental health issues. And it is a wonderful book, a delightful book. And that is pretty much my extent uh, in YA. I read horror, I read nonfiction, I read true crime stuff, and that's and suspense. Mm-hmm. And that's what I read. And I don't read necessarily. YA, I don't read romance. I don't read any of that stuff. I just I write about it So I I want to kind of keep some distance from it. I guess Mm -hmm.
0: I should know the answer to this the number of times that we've talked, but I Mm -hmm. not put it up in my brain right now Did you write flash fiction before or did you just give Nick that characteristic? Just I wanted to give that him that characteristic
2: I'd never the okay. Let me back that up when I was seven years old six or seven I used to carry around this notebook with me that I would fill with stories about me and Samus Aran, who is a character from the video game Metroid. In Metroid, you play as a big, awesome space marine who blows up aliens and kills everybody. And then at the very end of the first game, the character takes off their helmet and is revealed to be a woman. And that just blew my mind because the entire time you're thinking this is a badass guy who's killing all these things and it's a woman. And I was like, holy shit. So seven-year-old me is like, I want to have adventures with her. So I wrote stories about me and Samus going around killing bad guys, bad aliens. And so for all intents and purposes, I guess you could say I got my start with self-insert fan fiction, which is what I did. But other than that, no, I did not. I haven't written anything like that. And so when I started getting the idea of doing fandom with The Extraordinaries, it was because of people building up fandom for the Green Creek series. And I saw how dedicated and devoted those people, awesome, awesome people were. And I wanted to delve further into what makes fandom. And I will tell you, man, on sites like Archive of Our Own, there are some, very 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 good writers out there Mm -hmm. that are that are writing fan fiction and to the point of where i was like holy shit why aren't you writing (laughs) original fiction and and turning around so this is this is better than i write what the hell (laughs) and it was it was so good to to see these people have a site like archive of our own to be able to to write their stories i i wish i could have had something like that when i was a kid i mean the the closest thing i would have gotten was one time I saved up a bunch of money and ordered an X-Files zine on, <laughs> when X-Files was on because I wanted to see more of of Mulder and Scully. So I ordered this zine, and I think I still have it somewhere, that was filled with like fan fiction and fan art of the X-Files in the 90s. And, and the way it's evolved into what it is now is just amazing. I mean, Archive of Our Own, that site is just Ridiculous with the the sheer breadth of content that
0: it has given how much it sounds like you enjoyed writing Extraordinaries and when you get past the end of that trilogy, do you see more YA in your future? Oh, or is yeah, it gonna be oh, like yeah. I already have, I already have
2: another why trilogy plan oh, after fabulous. I finish the Extraordinaries that I, I can't talk about yet But I, I I do like it. It's a different it's a different world the 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 coolest thing I think so far about The Extraordinaries is that when the book comes out in May, Tortine is sending me out to schools to be able to talk to, act, to teenagers about Fabulous. the book itself. Yeah. And that is awesome and also terrifying at the same time because they will most likely be savvier and smarter than I could ever be. And so I just don't want to be the old guy coming in saying, I wrote a book. Please read it. It's about gay people. (laughs) (laughs) But that's going to be it's going to be a trip, man, because for all I know, there's going to be one kid in there who who was like I was. And and if I can if I can give this kid a book and say, here, I hope this means something to you. And even if I never hear from that kid again, but the fact that if it does turn out to mean something to them, that's all I want. That's all I could want from something like that. Mm -hmm. When I wrote my very first book, before my very first book came out, back in 2011, I told myself that if even one person read it, one person walked away from it, happy that they read it, then I would have done my job. And that's still true for me to this day. I I don't necessarily think about I mean, yeah, sure. It's wonderful when books sell really well and a lot of people like it. But I still go back and think every now and then if just one person likes this story, then I would have done my job, you know, because I don't write for everybody. I tend to write for myself. But if if somebody else can appreciate that, then good. I'm happy. Mm -hmm. That's all I need.
0: And you've certainly made a lot of people happy. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think that's that's pretty clear or by some of what we see yelling, in in, in your lunatics group. Me in all caps, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I love them. Um, so we would be remiss if we talked and didn't talk about Green Creek a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready to tease. All right. Let's do this. All right. So, heart song and feral song have been mm-hmm. out already. Uh, heart song at the end of end of last year. October. Yeah. Boy, time yeah. flies. So now, Heart Song in October last year. Feral Song came out just about a week before we recorded this podcast. Mm-hmm. What a trip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, what you did with Robbie in Heart Song, uh, you really pulled some fast ones there that were just ultimately really fascinating to, to read and see how that mm-hmm. unfolded.
2: Yeah. And that was planned from when I started plotting out Ravensong because I knew when I decided to, I always knew when I finished Wolf Song, I always knew there was going to be three more books. I didn't know necessarily what they were going to entail, but I knew the, the order in which the characters were going to have their own book. I, I knew that almost right away. So when I started sitting down to plot out Ravensong back in 2016, end of 2016, I went through and made an outline for all of the three remaining books. So I knew exactly where where Heart Song was going to go. So in case anybody is wondering, the events of Heart Song were planned always from the moment I started planning the seat the Ravensong book. So I've been an asshole for that long. <laughs> <laughs> i regret nothing i knew how the i knew how at that point too how the entire series would end so much so that i wrote the last chapter of brother song before i wrote raven song i've never done that before but i wanted to because i always want to write in order like i like the because if there are certain scenes that i want to write i i don't want to cheat myself and write it and go to it and write it and then go back and and lead up to it because for all I know, the narrative could change at some point. Mm-hmm. But I I was so firm with how I wanted this series to end that I wrote the last pages of Brother Song before I started writing Raven Song. And I didn't change a goddamn thing When I, by the time I got to it. It stayed exactly the same. So I was like, yes! And it is going to... It is going to... Not... Be the ending that people expect. It's going to be a good ending, hooray! But it is—it is going to be—you won't see it coming. I'll put it that way.
0: I, I think because I've tried to stop second guessing you <laughs> already. It's probably you know, that. as I said in my review of Feral Song. I just want them to end up so they can have a good day, mm-hmm. because in Feral Song, Kelly has the quip that why can't they just have a good day yeah although it's a lot more explicit than that <laughs> yeah and that's really what i want for them because there's no moment so far where they can get maybe more than a week of and even when they're having a good day there's still the cloud overhanging mm-hmm. that there's still shit left to come <laughs> yeah and it's 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 intentional it, to a point
2: i don't want it to be too dour all the time which is why the comedy in those books helps but it's it, – this is – next to the, the Tales from Verania series, this is the biggest series I've ever done. In fact, the, in, in the last book, Brother Song, ooh, a little bit of a tease, it has the longest sustained battle scene out of any book that I've written. Mm. There's the, the, the big – the climax of the book, I should say, is surprising and heartbreaking and – Sad, And it's going to make some people angry, but it is what it is. (laughs) And, and, but I will say this though, I am very conscious of the fact that I have put these characters through a lot and I would not have done so if I did not think that they could handle it as characters. And if I could not handle it as a writer and I will say that I promise that by the end of the book, There will be peace and happiness for people. (laughs) I try to, I try to, I don't want to say for everyone, but let's just say for people. There will be
0: good goodness for people. I leave them in a good place. I'm super intrigued by the battles because the battles, as heartrending as they are when they go down, they escalate from, what we saw in wolf song through you know what was in raven song the battle
2: in caswell and Heart song well see i well, wasn't
0: even gonna say caswell because i wasn't gonna go that far but now you've said it so fine yeah. <laughs> you know and how everything goes down in the battle that happens there it's like it's cinematic like do yeah. you just see all that in your head really yeah. well? because oh, i yeah. kind of see blo- like a big place you, you set should set see, up.
1: you should see my
2: my my notes for this i block out all of those scenes Because it's it's like a sex scene. You have to know where everybody's body parts are. You have to know what everybody's doing. If somebody bends a certain way, you have to make sure that they were standing in a way to begin with that wouldn't make that unnatural or make a reader go, wait, how are they doing that? It's the same. You know, like I said, it's the same with a sex scene. If somebody does something weird, the reader's gonna be like, wait, I don't get how that's humanly possible. So I block out all of those scenes. I have little. (laughs) I have little. Let me show you. I have. I have little toys that I use, my little, my little Star Wars finpo bobbleheads, and I block out these scenes when people are fighting so I know how the scene is going to look. And it, it takes a long time, but I have to get those right because if somebody does something stupid or I forget. like In one scene in, in Heart Song, towards the end when there's the big climactic battle, I forgot one of the characters completely <laughs> and like they just show up. And then I sent it to my beta readers. They were like, wait, where's fill in the blank. And I was like, Oh fuck <laughs> shit. So I had to go back and include them in and give them some really cool quippy lines.
0: <laughs> he ran away. He's just not there. right.
2: He's, he's hiding. He'll be, he's, he's waiting with the cars. It's fine. <laughs> Those things are intense. And then brother song, like I said, it has the biggest battle scene ever written. And that took me forever to, to write because I made it with brother song. I knew I was going to have to either go big or go home. So I just, I went big, man. It's a big, huge fricking book where many, many things happens. And it also has to end a four book series and close out four books with their storylines while also allowing Carter and the Timberwolf to have their own story while also having to rectify Carter and Joe and Kelly and their relationship Their father also needing to wrap up Gordo and his brother and their father and all of the, and have to deal with who Ox is or what he is and what he can do.
0: (sighs) How long is this book?
2: It is the shortest out of all the Green Creek books.
0: Dang. So Heart Song stands as the biggest one then, I guess. No,
2: Raven Song is the longest. Wolf Song is 150-some-odd thousand words. Raven Song is 163. Heart Song is 159. And Brother Song is 157.
0: So it's not short. It's just the
2: shortest of a long book. It's it's me you're talking to. Come on. (laughs) Let's let's be realistic here. I love words. But, yeah, it is the shortest out of those books. But that is not, by comparison, to most other books short at all. So people will still get to read – it, originally, when I furnished the first draft, it was like 200,000 words. and I was like, Jesus Christ. So through the magic of beta reading and editing and and working on it better, we got it down to where it should be, which is still longer, twice as long as most queer books. So yeah, whatever. I keep my readers are used to it. What's it like to have finished it? Sad. It's sad. I'm sad. It is – I mean – it was originally supposed to come out in December of 2019 mm-hmm. and I've been finished with it since October of 2018. So I've had a long time to deal with my grief about closing this book, this series, but it's probably going to have to, the wounds are going to reopen when we get closer to August, 2020 when it comes out. So it is, I'm glad it's over cause I'm, I got to tell the story that I wanted to tell, but I'm sad at the same time because I've, these characters, they, they mean a lot to me. It's even more so than say like the Varania series, the Varania series. I love that series because it's my happy place. The Green Creek series is my biggest cast of characters and I love them all. I love them all for who they are and who they're not. And the fact that I was able to finish their story on my terms is bittersweet. I mean, I'm sure I could have written 10 more books about them, but what would be the point? It would get boring. I would get bored. Readers and readers would be able to tell that I was bored because the story wouldn't be good. So I want to be able to tell the story, get in and get out and finish. There's authors out there who do fine with telling 12, 13, 20 book series, but that's not me because as you know, I hop around from genre to genre. And if I got stuck too long in one place, I would end up resenting the story I was trying to tell.
0: Mm-hmm as the reader of all this, I think it's the most exciting thing that there's gonna be people who read Cerulean Sea or read The Extraordinaries, and then go to see what else you've done and be able to get into the Green Creek stories all of a sudden, or get into Varania. Please be the right age to do that, but. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, that's another thing. Under the advisement of Tor, I updated my website to show like age levels that books should be, because I don't want a kid to read Like the extraordinaries and some fifteen year old go, Oh, let's see what this lightning struck heart is about and then be like, Oh my god, you are scarred for life. (laughs) There's things in there that no child should read.
0: Well and yet people read up all the time. Like I was in God, middle school and reading Stephen King.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too. Which is why which is weird how I'm I'm like protective over 15 year olds that I don't even know. And you know, I'm not on a good day. I'm like children, blah, whatever. But the fact that I have to, you know, protect them from myself, <laughs> from my books, <laughs> it's just because I'm like, you know what, give it a couple of years, wait till you're 18, and then read it. That's totally fine. You can wait a couple of years. I have other books I don't aren't sexually graphic that you can read or have Ribald humor that that probably isn't appropriate for your age. I mean, I'm sure I would have thought it was funny if I was 15, but I don't want to get an angry email from a parent going, "You corrupted my child," <laughs> right? <laughs> because of gay uni- unicorn sex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was there talk when you made the the shift of uh, going with another pen name or? Nope, never.
2: I asked. I asked if i asked my agent initially if they thought that if if she thought that was a good idea she said why so i said okay that's fine so i just kept it as is and it just it makes it easier i think because it's well, it's all in one umbrella so I, plus if i if i had gotten a different pen name say i went by my real name travis and for like the YA, i would have to make like a whole other website a whole other social media and all of that and that's just ugh. I can be lazy. Yeah. <laughs> the idea well, of keeping up another e- alter ego is just like, eh.
0: Yeah. And I still like it, frankly, as, as <laughs> the person who doesn't deal with it at all. <laughs> that, again, the people will find these books that are going to be, you know, such mass-marketed, big-out-there books, and then find these other gems <laughs> that you've got. Like, yeah, and that's it makes that's makes be exciting for, because if, if people, if people like it, my, my books, better. they think, oh, what else is he?
2: I've got, like – 20 plus other books for you to read come on and even better they're all pu- republished by me so all the money goes to me yeah. and that will be even better so yeah I'm, I I have a big back catalog for people to explore that find me through these two new books
0: yeah which is awesome yeah let's talk about your amazing readers the Cludatics has grown so much over the last couple of years at least that I've been paying attention to it. It's such yeah, it's ex- only a couple
2: of years old. Well, there it you just, go.
0: I, it was started in 2017. Oh, I thought it was longer than that. So yeah, nope. I, so yeah, just just a couple of years old. It's an amazing community. It is full of just incredible people with some of the best stories. You mm-hmm. alluded to some of the fan artwork, which is truly incredible.
2: Yeah, that, that, I mean the artists, man, that 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 put out the fan work are just nuts. And the, what I love about it is. Is all their different styles. Everybody has a different way of interpreting a character. Everybody has a different way of drawing a character. And what I even love about it even more is that people who are nervous that maybe have never drawn something before, and they publicly say on their post, "I'm nervous about posting this, but I wanted to to for people to see it." Everybody's so awesome. Everybody's so nice. Everybody's so kind. Everybody's so generous. And. I just like that. I like it when people are nice to each other. I like being, I mean, we, you know as well that this past year has kind of sucked Mm -hmm. for us in the writing community and a lot with who we publish with and with an organization who is supposed to help protect us. But when you, when you take that all away and, and step back from all the crap that's happening around us and you look and, and you see people who are posting their artwork or people in a, in a, facebook group who are having bad days and posting about it and everybody else is commenting how how much they want to make them feel better and and you're going to be okay everything is going to work out that's what it's all about you know it's about it's about being nice to each other it's about being kind to each other and and going through it together because w- whether we like it or not we're in this together i mean it's it, we're, it's it's better to help each other than it is to ignore each other and I wish that more people would realize that, and I'm very fortunate with the Clunatic community that that they understand that, and they see that that's what I like, and that's what that's what they they a lot of these people are just the most generous, giving, kind people in the world, and I couldn't ask for a better readership
0: What do you think it is in your books that resonated to gather these people together?
2: I don't know i mean. <sighs> It's good. I don't know. I, I think that, I think that, that there's, there's always, there's always a sense of, of otherness in my books, the certain characters, like we talked about before. They're, they're not, you know, traditionally handsome people with, with an eight pack and a huge dick and, and gruff voices and all of that. And I, I I think that, that people see what I like to write. Even in the most fantastical of of scenarios that I, I write, I like to write real people. I like to write how I think people talk and how I think people should actually act. And I think that, that what I well, I hope that what my readers see is is the realness from it. Even though you know it's fiction, you and even if, say, you're in a kingdom of Varania and you're trotting around with a unicorn and a dragon named Kevin, that you can still think that, you know. These characters are realistic. They're lifelike, even when they're doing stupid stuff, especially when they're doing stupid stuff, because I want people to say, hey, you know what? I've made that mistake before, too. This is what I learned. Oh, and this character is learning from it, too. And that's important. It's important to me that when people read my books and, and I think that that's what's happened with like with the cl- Clunatic community is that they they can see themselves in these books. You know, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We have, we struggle with, with mental health issues, with anxiety, we're too loud, we talk too much, we were too effeminate, we're too queer, too gay, whatever. And, and they, they can see part of themselves in that. And I, I like to think that I've gathered the biggest group of misfits in the world. And I love each and every one of them because we belong to each other.
0: Well said. You guys got together last October. Yeah, like
2: 60 people, man, at, at, at my friend and beta reader Lynn's house. That was nerve-wracking for me because, you know, there's people who are like, yeah, by the way, we're coming from Australia just to see you. I was like, what? <laughs> do, you,
0: do you do you really
2: want to do that? <laughs>
0: But a, was, I hope Lynn had cr- a big enough house to support 60 people. They I would not yeah, want actually, 60 Lynn's in my house. house. Lynn's,
2: Lynn's, yeah, not my house either. Well, I probably could, but I do, wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but Lynn was Lynn was a gracious host, and everybody there was so freaking cool and it was awesome. And I gotta sign a bunch of books and play games and eat and drink and laugh and talk. And and Michael Leslie came and Kurt Graves came and did some performances. They're my narrators for my audiobooks. And they did some performances. And it was just, it was awesome. And it was, it was, it was a lovely, lovely experience with lovely, lovely people. And we're hopefully going to be doing it again. We're trying to make it a yearly thing. So that's awesome. It is. It is. It was a, it was a wonderful time.
0: And I was thrilled to hear that Kurt is, Putting together the Clunatics podcast now to more yeah. document, yeah, the stories it, behind these readers.
2: Yeah, that's going to be super super cool. I'm so excited about about him. This is all him too. This is him, and I think Mia is who's the one of the admins of my Clunatic group, and also my one of my other beta readers. I think she's helping him out with it. And that yeah, Kurt approached me with the idea of wanting to do a podcast about about the Clunatic community and and my journey through this next year and i said okay go run with it and he has man so whenever that comes out all the credit goes to him because he is he works his butt off he does he does everything to make it the best it possibly can be and i'm very very fortunate to have somebody like him on my team
0: the podcast if i remember right from his teaser at the end of feral song i believe comes out march 20th it'll be right after this Oh, yeah. The podcast comes out. <laughs> yeah. So download that. It's, it's, I think it's going
2: to be the Clunatics. I think that's the name of the, the, the podcast. So you should be able to find that wherever your feed is. I don't know how many episodes he's planning or anything like that, but it's going to be a trip, man. It's going to be pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, looking forward to that. And I did another shout out to him for the work he did on Feral Song with adding the music score and everything. That just
2: and he did all of that for free, man. He's Mm -hmm. he's such a freaking good guy. He is such a very good guy, and I, I I I adore him. And Michael Leslie too. Michael's joining me on my journey. With Tor, he's gonna to be doing the narration for the extraordinary. So oh,
0: fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I asked Tor if he could do it because it fits him perfectly. And they said, Is he good? And then they listened to his samples and then they talked to him. This is all done within twenty-four hours. I said, I sent them an email and by the next day at that exact same time, he was hired to do it. And I said, Holy crap. I have clout. That's what I do. <laughs> but no he 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 got it based upon his his work and I am very very excited to have him along with me to have a familiar face <laughs> while I go play with the big leagues.
0: That's awesome So we've talked a little bit about some of the stuff we know that's coming Extraordinaries is a, is a trilogy What can you tease about what comes once we get past August and brother song?
2: yes so. 2021 is going to be the extraordinaries two and a book called the tremendous death of wallace price which is a comedy about death and dying i think the best way to describe it is it's a reversed Scrooge in that the main character isn't visited by three ghosts before he dies. He dies and goes to see three alive people. <laughs> and he has to, he's not a good guy and he's actually a bit of a dick and he has to learn to accept himself and become a better person all while dealing with the feelings he's has for a man who whose tea shop he is technically trapped in because he's a ghost and that's a big big story it's a rumination on death and one's place in life while also being an absurdist comedy and then in 2022 <laughs> that's going to be extraordinaries 3 and a book I've already written called In the Lives of Puppets which okay it is a post-apocalyptic comedy retelling of Pinocchio.
0: <laughs> wow, I don't even how to know how to put my head around that.
2: It is wild. It is about an inventor named Victor who finds an android, and in a in a scrap pile, and he basically gives the android a heart and the romances between himself and the android and victor's sidekicks are a are robots that he's built up and given personalities one of which is a roomba vacuum named rambo who hands it who has anxiety and then the other is a nurse the other is a nursing machine named nurse ratchet from uh, uh a clockwork orange except nurse ratchet is nurse registered atomicon to care, heal, educate, and drill. That's what (laughs) Nurse Ratchet stands for. And she's a sociopath. So (laughs) so this book, this book, it's as of right now, I mean plans could change, but that's going to be the capper for this unofficial trilogy starting with Cerulean. Because they both even though they're not related in plot, they're not set in the same worlds in any way, shape or form. They all run a through line of kindness and moral philosophy. And so those three books all deal with those in in those themes in in various ways. But yeah, I've already finished the book I was supposed to write for 2022.
0: <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> because
2: wow, well, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what's going to happen. But there's going to be a bunch of other surprises in there because I plan on releasing three books a year, two with tour, one One tour, one tour routine, and then one that I most likely self-publish on my own. So I'm going to – my next book I'm hopefully going to start writing is going to be a return to the Varania series and writing the fifth book in that series. Oh,
0: people are excited about that. Where's the place people go to keep up with you to to follow everything that happens in this awesome journey?
2: Yeah, you, the best the best place, I'm most active on Twitter, TJ Clune. there. I'm on Instagram, TJ Clune, Facebook, the Clunatic group, just search Clunatic, K-L-U-N-A-T-I-C, and my website, tjklunebooks.com, and I have to update that more. <laughs> Torah <laughs> wants me to update that more. But best place,
0: honestly, follow me on Twitter because that's where I usually am these days. Fantastic. Well, TJ, we wish you so much success with everything that's coming out. and it's, it's wonderful to see this happen. I'm so excited. Thank you. It's going to be a wild and crazy adventure, and
2: I cannot wait to show people what's next.
1: This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply
0: head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And thanks again to TJ for spending so much time with us to tell us all about these great books. Now, he mentioned the tour for The House in the Cerulean Sea. As you can imagine, that tour has been postponed. But if you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday as we drop this, there is a virtual launch party happening on Instagram, courtesy of the Barnes & Noble in Fredericksburg, which is where the launch was originally supposed to happen, We'll have a link in the show notes page to their Instagram, and you can also watch TJ's social media, especially Twitter, for other events happening online around the launch of this book. Also launching this week, we mentioned the Clunatics podcast in this interview. Monday, March 16th, the same day this episode comes out, the first of that podcast debuts with the How to Be a Clunatic episode. I have had a preview of that. Kurt Graves has done such an amazing job putting this podcast together. It's very much kind of docu-style, this American life kind of thing. I can't wait to hear what else Kurt does with that. And one last note, if you want a little more TJ, beyond the interview we did here, we recorded a and A session for the Big Gay Author podcast where he talks a little bit about uh, why he writes his process and some other things. So you can find that in episode 32 of the Big Gay Author podcast.
1: All right. I think that'll do it for this week's show. Coming up next week in episode 233, Lisa from The Novel Approach and Jay from Joyfully Jay will be here, and they're going to recommend some of the books that they have enjoyed in the first quarter of 2020.
0: Yes, they have so many good books that they've read. So be ready for your TBR to grow a book or two or maybe six. (laughs) That'll be coming up next week.
1: Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading.
0: Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.